All right, welcome back. I'm your host, Zach Eaton. This is officially episode two. I'm not going to do that every time, I promise. Um, I'll get burnt out on it. Okay, so, uh, you know, episode one, I kind of went over uh, a little bit about me, who, what, where, when, why, you know, what I'm doing, what I'm shooting with, stuff like that. This episode, I've been kind of putting it off. Um, what I wanted to talk about, you know, uh, all week I went over things that uh, I thought would be good topics. Mm, not really sure if they are or not, but anyways, let's give it a shot and uh, see if anyone takes anything away from it. So, um, Stereo Colorist is this camera that I got a while ago um, from uh, my grandfather's antique booth. It just happened to be in a box of cameras, and I picked it out as something that looked interesting and wanted to hang on to it and see, you know, what what could come of it. And uh, recently I pulled it off the wall. I was, you know, I was kind of sitting there staring at it and uh, decided why not see what it's about, uh, take it out and shoot it and see what what's happening. Um, it already actually had film in it, so I didn't have to put any film in it. I have no idea if the film was expired, it had got heat damage, or got wet, who knows? I, I had no clue. But, I wanted to shoot with it. I wanted to see what it looked like, and uh, see what kind of results I could yield from it. So, this thing is called a TDC Stereo Colorist, and uh, I'm going to call it a 1, Stere- TDC Stereo Colorist 1 because they have a two. Um, this thing doesn't say one on it anywhere, so it just says TDC Stereo Colorist. Um, it is a pretty cool camera. You know, uh, I had to Google what it was uh, at first just to see, you know, it's got two lenses. You look at this thing, it's got two lenses on the front and, you know, um, the settings are on both lenses and I just, you know, I had no idea what it was. So, a little Googling. And uh, I found some information, not many videos on it, uh, just a couple of like, uh, one of the guys is taking the faceplate off and fixing the lens. Uh, it's not something I wanted to do. I, uh, I ran through mine and made sure that all of the uh, shutter speeds worked. So, so I knew I didn't have to take my faceplate off and do any major surgery on the camera. Um, on the side of film being in it, uh, you know, you really don't know. I seem to find these cameras a lot. They already uh, locked and loaded and ready to roll. So I just kind of went with it, you know. I uh, got my light meter out. This thing does not have a light meter on it. Um, this camera, it is right here. It has shutter speed, aperture, and focal distance. So the left lens, let's say I'm staring at it. And the left lens has the shutter speed. It goes from bulb to 200th of a second. On the right lens is your, the top ring is the aperture ring, which is 3.5 to f16. And just below that is the focal distance. And it goes from three feet to infinity. Um, so when you spin that, both lenses spin simultaneously, which is uh, pretty cool to look at. But, you know, uh, you just guess the whole time of uh, how far your subject is, which I guess isn't really that bad. I was kind of uh, taking pictures of coworkers, um, and, you know, you guess, let's say you're three to four feet away, and I, I think it has some pretty good give on it. 
So if I was shooting at four feet, I think it runs from like, let's say two to seven feet, something like that, you know? So, and then when I was out doing, I took a couple landscape pictures with it and uh, I set it on infinity and just let it roll. Um, hopefully they're in focus. But, so you take a picture and you wind the knob and it winds forever because it's actually rolling in two pictures to cover both the lenses. Um, and the lenses on this thing are Rodenstock Stereo Trinars, 35, uh, it's a, they're 35 millimeters. A. So, pretty neat. I ended up shooting the entire roll. Um, I kind of went berserk and shot all kinds of pictures, you know, just having fun goofing off. And, uh, finally finished the roll. I took it out and it was Velvia 100. So... Currently, I am not processing E6. I just haven't bought any chemicals in a while for E6. And uh, so I kind of, at that, it kind of hit a brick wall. And I'm not really sure I want to take it any further. Um, I will eventually process that because I have a lot of Velvia 100 in my fridge that needs processing. Um, you know, that's just a, a whole nother monster. Currently, I'm working on black and white. And uh, I just bought a Unicolor C41 kit um, that will eventually get mixed up, but not really looking to waste it. So I'm kind of trying to make my way through black and white at the moment, you know, one at a time, I guess. But I'll give you a little background on the camera since uh, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I had never heard of it before this. I, I knew about stereo cameras, but I'd never seen one. So the image format for this is 2250 by 2410. Um, I went over the Rodenstock lenses, uh, one tenth to two, one two hundredth of a second um, and bulb. It has a 5X viewfinder and in the day it retailed for $84.50. Um, <clears throat> so the camera is actually made, or uh, let's say it's made by Bell & Hal. Not positive on that. It does say it on the bottom, um, but everyone was kind of leaning towards someone else, and I can't remember. It was a, a three-dimension um, three, three company uh, out of Chicago. That's who it was. Um, it's a German camera. Uh, look them up on eBay and they're running from, depending on condition, um, you know, they're going from about 40 bucks to almost $200. Um, I saw one that was 295, which, you know, it came with all kinds of crazy stuff, the bag, the leather pouch, uh, all kinds of film it came with it, but it was a pretty pristine camera. So, um, I'll give them that, uh, TDC stereo vivid. Uh, which was another camera that they made, and I believe that was the automatic version. I'm not sure how automatic you can get with these, but okay, we'll go with it. Um, you know, whatever. I ended up, so when I did finish the roll, um, I opened it up. I took that out, Velvia 100, and uh, it was kind of nice to see the Velvia 100 in there. Um, but I opened it up. I'm, when I removed the film, like actually where it was sitting... Um, it had three stickers uh, underneath of that canister that were from Comet Camera Repair in Philadelphia. Um, the first one was December 1962, May 66, and August 1972. And the two initials that were on those tags were EF and RW. So, you know, that would be uh, pretty cool to find out who actually worked on the cameras 
um, what kind of, well, you know, what kind of repair was done. I guess it could have just been a standard cleaning or just, you know, checking it out, but, uh, pretty cool. You know, there's some history in the camera. Um, it just kind of happened upon me one day and I hung it on the wall and never fooled with it till now. But uh, I'm going to say that's probably where it's going to end for now, that journey with that camera, because, uh, you know, E6 processing is just not something I'm doing right now. Um, I will eventually get back to it, but, you know, time, time will show. So something else I wanted. So I had a bunch of stuff that I wanted to kind of cover, but um, I won't go into depth uh, with everything. Maybe we can save that for another uh, another time. I was doing some scanning last night, so I listened to the uh, film photography podcast today. I'm way behind on episodes, um, so I started at number one and kind of working my way through, and I think it was either episode five or six. Um, I kind of I work while I'm uh, listening, so everything kind of starts to blend together. You know, the episodes, they move on to the next one, and I have no idea. So I was listening to it, and they were talking about scanning, and uh, I know that that one they just got a well i'm sure this was back in 2010 or 11 i believe he got an epson v uh, v700 and uh that's actually what i've been looking at here lately because they're still actually pretty pricey um i believe it was running for around 300 dollars used um and they seem to be in pretty good shape so just kind of keeping an eye on them on ebay and uh and if anyone doesn't really know i am a large ebay person i uh like to look for uh, random stuff and uh you know very cheap um stuff that's in good condition i'm not i'm not looking for any crap i'll set my uh setting my browse settings to uh ending first or you know uh lowest price with shipping and see what kind of stuff i can find so today i was digging through you know, it started out with scanners. Obviously, these guys are all talking about scanners, so uh, naturally I flocked over to eBay and typed in scanners just to see what I could find. Oh, man, there's so many different models out now. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I'd like to have a dedicated scanner for a 35mm. It'd be nice, um, but, I'm, you know, I'm not going to pay that. Some of them were like three, four, five hundred dollars just for a dedicated 35 millimeter scanner. When I could get an Epson flatbed scanner and do 35 millimeter, 120, and 4x5 all at the same time. Um, obviously, not at the same time, but you know, you know what I mean. Uh, all in one for all of my negatives, and that's it. You know, take up limited space. My scanner sits right next to my computer workstation. I have a Epson V600. Um, I've had it for a few years now. Um, when I started doing film, I, uh, I really had no way of posting my images online. I was just kind of, you know, doing my own thing, winging it, and taking pictures of them, and then was like, uh, maybe I should probably invest in a scanner. So I found a lady online selling it for $25. I think this was on Let Go. 
and I said, hey, I'll take your scanner. So when I showed up, she gives me the scanner. I really had, I didn't look into it or anything. I just knew that it would scan 35 millimeter and 120. And, uh, you know, I'm all loaded up in the car and she goes, wait, here's the film trays. And I was just like, whoa, yeah, all right, guess I will need those. And uh, so I have 35 millimeter uh, film trays. I have a 120 film tray and she gave me a slide tray, which I don't ever use because I don't ever put my slides in uh, in cardboard or holders, whatever they are nowadays, plastic. But anyway, so I got my V600, and I'm extremely happy with it. It's a stellar uh, scanner. It's got me through a lot. It won't really do 4x5. I mean, it does. Um, I was, at the time, when I first started shooting 4x5, I was just laying the negative horizontally in the trying to fit it between where it actually scans the negatives. Um, it worked, except it was cropping my image a little bit. So I was actually losing some of the... It wasn't actually a 4x5. It might have been, you know, maybe a 3.5x5, which it wasn't working for me. So I ended up getting into uh, Color Pano. Um, it's a software that my father was actually sponsored by them, and I got into it. It was a, uh, a panoramic stitching software, so I would scan the negative horizontally, the 4x5 negative, so I'd put half of it in the thing, scan it, open the scanner, move my negative over a little bit, and scan the other half, and then use color pano uh, application to stitch them. And it was actually a pretty stellar software like it it worked seamlessly like before i was struggling to get those two negatives to match um but that software i mean it changed if one was brighter than the other it would actually tone them so they matched and put them together and they looked like one image like i scanned a full four by five negative but you know i knew i was kind of doing it a little ghettoly ghetto-ly, is that a word? Ghetto, a little ghetto-ish. Um, but it worked for me at the time. Now it's to the point, I'm not so much shooting as much 4x5 as I was. Um, when I was in my, you know, prime of shooting 4x5, I got, I took that camera everywhere. And uh, now, I mean, I'm still so far behind on um, developing my negatives. I have probably two full boxes of black and white and uh, C41 negatives that I need to develop um, just from past trips, Utah, uh, Tetons, Colorado. I'm, I'm just, you know, uh, got overwhelmed. I had a son and that kind of uh, slowed things up a little bit. Everything works at his pace and no one else's now. Um, so anything I get to do is later at night which is fine with me. I kind of, uh, I've adapted pretty quickly. So any kind of, any kind of uh, dark room stuff I need to do, it's at night, um, which is fine. So <clears throat> the scanner, it works amazingly. I get some pretty good detail out of, uh, my negatives. Um, you know, I'm not printing my pictures. Uh, I'm not selling my images. So it's pretty much going from me shooting to developing to throwing it on this scanner and adding it to Facebook, Instagram, or Flickr, wherever it's going. 
So the quality really doesn't need to be that great. Um, I mean, people probably aren't even clicking on it when they pass it by. So I'm not too worried about it. The V600 works just fine for what I'm doing. Um, as a flatbed scanner, yeah, you know, I like it. I've always, it's worked for me. It's easy. It's fun. Um, the software is not complicated at all. There's plenty of YouTube videos on um, how to operate it and how to tweak your images to make them look right. But since these guys were all talking about scanners and I had eBay readily available on my phone, oh man, I jumped right on there and started looking at uh, 700s and 850s. And 850s are still whew, pretty out of my price range. Um, I think they were still running about seven or eight hundred dollars for a used uh, V850, and that's a little too much for me to justify buying right now. Um, considering I'm not really shooting, let's say I'm not shooting it professionally anymore. Um, I've kind of stepped back from film and made it just a let's say let's call it a hobby. Let's call film a hobby. Um, even though I shoot a lot of it, it's still, you know, it's just, just kind of for fun. Um, keeping my, keeping my, uh, interest alive in it. Um, I still thoroughly enjoy it. Um, I like film over digital any day of the week. Um, not going to get into that debate. Um, cause I, I shoot a Nikon D800 as well. But I actually haven't got it out of the bag in a while. So I've been shooting all film here for the past few weeks, few months. I've just been shooting 35mm every day. Um, I've kind of made myself shoot. Even if it's not something I'm really into, I'll still shoot it just to shoot it. My ride in or home, I stop and, you know, I'll jump out. Don't even put it in park. I'll throw the car in neutral, pull the e-brake, and just jump out. I know it's not safe, and uh, I don't recommend it to anyone, but the, I ride on uh, a lot of back roads. Mostly Amish buggies are passing me. So I'll jump out, take a few shots, um, kind of fool around, and jump back in the car and pull the e-brake, and off I go to the next spot, just, uh, just, uh, just so I'm shooting. But back to the topic. I keep getting uh, I keep getting distracted. I am I guess you know I guess you could say I'm in the market for a V700 uh, if the price was right. No, Bobby, you did not hear that. Um, she would probably murder me if I bought a new scanner uh, or a new camera or film or chemicals for that matter. Um, but when they started talking about a new scanner, I wanted a new scanner. Um, and then that kind of had me dive into other things. Like they were talking about how they got this twin lens camera for $20 or something like that. So <clears throat> all of a sudden I'm looking at TLRs and 35 millimeter cameras and odd things that I would not be looking at on a normal daily basis. And I was also looking at, um, film see what kind of cheap film I could find online on eBay um, and see most of the stuff still had like four to six days left and you know I don't have a lot of patience I do but not for that kind of stuff so but there was actually some pretty good deals on there I think I found a couple of uh, Port Porta uh, 160 120 rolls 
Um, I'm sure they were highly expired because they don't look like the uh, new updated packaging that I have in my fridge right now. It was some kind of uh, retro vintage packaging. But, um, you know, I'm no stranger to shooting expired film. I think it gives it a very cool look. So uh, I think it was going for like $2 uh, right now, and I only had like three days left. And I don't think there was any bids, just a few watchers, which, uh, you know, I was watching a Nikon uh, F2, and it started, when I first started watching it, was two days ago, and it started out at $2.90. I looked today just to get a, a idea of where it was going to be or if there was any bids, and it was up to $99.00. So, I guess you can't really judge a uh, eBay bid on its cover. <clears throat> um, but anyways, there again, I got off on a little rant, on an eBay rant. Um, but I love eBay. eBay is awesome. Um, but don't go shopping on eBay because you could get yourself in trouble. Um, I am, you know, <laughs> you have to regulate that kind of stuff. Because now I'm sitting here on my phone looking at eBay again. Unless you're looking for a Nikon 70 to 200 lens. I know somebody who has one that is getting rid of it on eBay right now. Um, and it's got six days left, so you have plenty of time to get in there, throw up your watch, and uh, keep an eye on it. I don't believe it has any bids on it right now. No bids. You got six days and 12 hours left. Um, it's a. Nikon 70-200-2.8, it is pristine condition. Um, I know the photographer who owned it, and let's call him a master photographer. But he's selling it. Um, he got the new updated version, and he has this to give away, which is a, a solid lens for any um, level photographer. Um, if you're looking for a uh, longer lens, this is it. 70-200. It could be yours. You could own this lens. So uh, go check it out. Um, give it a look. Um, it is Ed Heaton's lens. I don't know how you... I guess you just have to type it in and find out where he, uh, where he is. I could share this on my Facebook. So if you, if you are listening and you actually are interested in it, I'll share it on my Facebook and uh, you can go give it a look. All right, so um, <clears throat> got a little off topic there, but that's okay. Um, let's reel it back in. Something else that I had happened to me um, the other night, I was developing two rolls of 35 millimeter, and I've had these uh, metal reels for some time now, and I've never used them. Uh, I had no idea how to use them, so I did a quick Google. Watched a little YouTube video on how they loaded this thing. Seemed, uh, you know, pretty basic. I kind of had it figured out before I even watched the video, but, you know, I'm fooling around with a uh, old thing of a 35mm that I had laying around, uh, mainly using it for testing, kind of this kind of stuff. That and, and testing fixer, um, you know, if you cut off a little bit of leader and put it in your fixer and you time it that's supposed to be the time that you're supposed to uh, fix your film um, I've actually been reading a lot about fixer um, and it's actually kind of amazing you know I've been developing my own black and white my own film let's say I've been developing my own film for uh, quite some time now and it's odd how much or how little you know about developing 
I've only scratched the surface on black and white development, and uh, it kind of threw me for a loop. There was all these tips and tricks that I never heard of, um, I've never seen, never heard anybody mention, uh, you know, these things that could have helped me for years. But, you know, there's no one to blame but myself because I just never took the time to further my education. I was too busy doing all these other processes. And, you know, if I found something that worked for me, I stuck to it. I never strayed from the path, which, um, you know, that's my own fault. I should have uh, read a little more, watched some more YouTube videos, followed other photographers, and uh, continued my education instead of living under a rock for 15 years. So, anyways, um, there was this thing I was reading the other day about how you cut off a little bit of the leader and you throw it in the fixer and uh, it should take like three to eight minutes and beyond that is your fixer is no good. You know, that was one website, so I didn't actually get into any other websites yet, but that is something that kind of intrigued me. It was it's something new for me. But anyways, I developed these two rolls with metal reels that I had laying around I'd never used, figured out how to load them. I sh turned my lights off, went into the dark. I loaded these two reels with 35mm. I put them in the tank, put the lid on. Um, I processed. When I took them out, I could see that on one of the rolls on the end of the leader was completely brownish, milky, I don't know, like a white milk. I posted it on Instagram to get a, get some feedback on, on what everyone else thought was happening. Um, I was leaning towards my fixer was bad, um, which now I'm not so sure if it was or not. I mean, I'm pretty sure my fixer is bad because I put a little leader in. After I read that, I put a leader in my uh, fixer to see if it would actually turn it clear. And uh, it never changed colors. So I'm kind of leaning towards my fixer might be dead. But also, everyone else kind of threw in their input. And it was actually kind of nice to see so many analog photographers jump on board with the conversation. Um, I don't think I've ever got that type of reaction out of that many people so it was actually nice to see the community come together and throw their opinions out and uh you know i got a lot of when i loaded the film there was actually like one side was touching the other like the film was touching the other film and that part didn't actually get processed so the developer never made it to that so that's why it looked uh, like a milky, but the mystery is still ongoing. Um, I am going to develop some more black and white. I am going to mix up new fixer. So I have new developer, I have a new stop, and I'll have a new fixer. That way, I know it's not my chemicals, and I'm going to actually do it again with the metal reel because I found that extremely easy. Uh, you know, just loading that, loading the metal reels was pretty basic and i liked it uh you just kind of like hook the the hole the sprockets onto the metal uh, prongs on the inside and you bend the film a little bit on the edge and you just kind of roll it and it puts itself in the slots um, with the patterson plastic tank when you're loading it all you do which is actually it's simple too but here lately 
I've been fighting with mine. So when you take the film out off the re or off the uh, the roll, you cut the end off the leader so it's completely flat. And then I I used to trim the corners like in the dark, trim the corners so that it wasn't so jagged and didn't get caught on anything. You kind of feed that into the Patterson reel just enough so it kind of gets past the little BBs. Um, and then once you feel it kind of coming through, you just start twisting the reel. Um, it actually um, twists. And every time you twist, it comes back and grabs the film and feeds it in. So it's like an auto feeder or auto loader. Um, and you just and do that until your film is completely in the roll. And then blop, you do your other one, put it in the tank, and you're good to go. Close the lid, pour your chemicals in, and pop goes the magic. But um, here lately, um, mine's been fighting with me. I don't know why, but I put it in. I, you know, I feed it in. I start, and I get about halfway through, and all of a sudden it's like jammed. It won't go anymore. Like the the reel won't twist anymore. It's like stuck, and uh, it's quite annoying. Cause what do you do? You pull all that back out and redo it. How annoying is that? So. I've been fighting with it here lately, it's been really bugging me, and I've been looking at buying another tank thinking maybe mine is just worn out. I've been using it ever since I started film photography, so maybe it is worn out, I don't know. But anyways, I have these metal reels, wanted to give them a shot, never used them before. They're very, um, you know, traditional film photography, and uh, had a very good go with it, except for the fact that my film came out with brown, milky-ish spots. Um, even all along the sprockets, um, were, you know, a whitish milky look, um, just on the, the top and bottom on the very edge of it, not affecting any of my images, but, um, so a little more experiments going to have to happen because, uh, um, you know, it's kind of bugging me that it happened. It ruined three of my images. Um, these are pictures of moments with my son that um, I didn't really want to lose. Uh, I can't see what they are now. I can kind of see shapes and, and, you know, I see there's somebody in the picture. I just can't tell what it is. So kind of bummed that it ruined that, that picture, but, or those three pictures. It happens. Uh, that's kind of uh, nature of the beast with film and developing it myself or yourself. You're going to run into problems. Every role can't be perfect. It just can't. Um, I mean, I just, I've had so many bad experiences over the time of me starting to now, um, but that don't, you, yeah, you can't let that discourage you. Um, there's going to be problems. It's not a perfect process, but you know, it's a fun process. Every time I go out and shoot, I love it. I love shooting. I come back. I know that if I process right away, I'll get to see my images that day or that night. Uh, and I'll be scanning them that later that night or I'll be scanning them the next day. Uh, but when you put them in your tank and, man, when you pull them out of there, the magic of just seeing your pictures on a roll and you think, like, I did this. I created all of this. Um, and no, I did not create the cameras or I didn't make the film. I took the picture and I personally processed my own images. That's what I was kind of trying to get at, but I don't want to get that kind of blown out of the water. You didn't make the camera. No, I didn't, didn't mean it like that. I meant like, you know, 
I had a more personal connection with processing my own images, um, whereas sending them to somebody so they can do it is, to me, skipping the most amazing part of being a film photographer. I'm sorry that, uh, you know, I've always been that way. I'm biased towards that. Um, I think, you know, I think processing your own stuff is film photography. I just, it's always been that way for me, and uh, I'm sure it's not going to ever change. Um, but yeah, I talked about it before, you know, not everyone is as uh, fortunate uh, with space, time, or money um, to have their own area for developing film or enlarging film or any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I I know how it is, but just, uh, just my opinion on, on things. If you're a film photographer and... Uh, you're processing your own stuff, then more power to you. And uh, there I went again. I got off topic, and I got to uh, jump back in here. I was talking about the milkiness on my uh, film. It's still a mystery. Um, I'm still enjoying the input that's going on on the post. Um, everyone's coming up with amazing ideas, and uh, and I do appreciate uh, all of the input. It's, it's nice to see the community coming together to help, uh, like I said. But it's happening, and it's bothering me. But I'll get over it, and uh, we'll get back to processing. I'm going to put up some fresh chemicals and throw some more in the tank and uh, see if it comes out. If it comes out funky with the metal reel and it's all fresh chemicals, then I know it's got to be me just messing up loading the tank or loading the reel. So that's the best part about film photography. It's the uh, process of elimination, trying to figure out what you did wrong the entire time, you know. But, alright, so, that was uh, actually kind of a good episode, I was just kind of rambling, but I kind of, I didn't look at the time, I just looked up and I'm running in about 35 minutes already, and uh, it's kind of where I wanted to put my, uh, my, my episodes at about half an hour, um, an hour seems a little long to me, um, you know, uh, personally, I have time at, when I'm doing stuff to sit and listen, um, but most people nowadays are on the run and uh, don't have the time to, to sit that long and listen. So um, I will try my best to keep it under an hour every episode. Plus, I don't have enough wind in me to talk for that long. Um, or I don't have the subject to talk about. So this episode, I actually just wanted to kind of cover that uh, stereo camera. I wanted to go into kind of a little bit of develop, or I mean developing, uh, scanning. Developing will be a uh, another episode that we can jump into, and uh, I could I could go into a detailed explanation of how I develop just a standard uh, tank development of black and white film. Um, some other time I can get into when I mix these C41 chemicals up. I could go into kind of how I uh, how I process that, how I keep my water the same temperature, um, stuff like that. Now just tools of the trade or tricks of the trade maybe i don't know if you want to listen to it then uh and take the advice and then go for it but if you're doing your own thing then yeah cool you do your own thing if it works for you it's working for you um but the scanners i only wanted to talk about the scanners because the uh the film photography project talked about it in episode uh four i think it was five episode five i believe i was on today and, uh, you know, they had me eBaying my butt off, and, uh, you know, that's not good for me, but it was fun. I did enjoy listening to their conversation today. They went into, like, 
uh, flatbed scanners versus uh, you know consumer pro consumer um, drum scanning. So you know I've it's it's nice to listen to others that have uh, you know been through it or, or done it or talk about it. It's just nice to listen to other film uh, people. You know film people. I guess that's what we call ourselves now. I don't know. I'm not sure where that came from. But, uh, okay, I'm going to end it there. I'm, I'm at, like, 39 minutes now. Next episode, maybe next episode I'll go over some uh, some development process, and we'll, uh, we'll see where that goes, all right? So, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Episode 2 uh, went pretty well for me. Uh, not too many mess-ups, and I actually felt a little more comfortable behind the mic. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you guys. If you're tuning in, if you're listening to the entire thing, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, it's, you know, this is, it's a lot harder than I thought it would be. You know, I listen to other podcasts, and these guys are just, you know, talking so smooth throughout the entire thing. And I'm like, well, I could probably try this, but I'm not sure I'll do very good at it. But um, it is kind of nice just to talk, um, just to kind of get your ideas on digital paper, I guess. But anyways, all right, so thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening and supporting this. And this is The Real Emulsion, and my name is Zach Heaton, signing out. <laughs> <laughs>